Do you ever feel like disease has taken over our world and will never be free of its devastating effects? Fortunately, while we're caregiving for people living with Alzheimer's, there are people living with Alzheimer's research daily. As a curious person, I'm always interested in learning more about Alzheimer's research. As an artist, it's not easy to follow along when speaking to a researcher. That is not the case with this episode. My guest, the CEO of Neurotez, was able to discuss their current research in a way that all of us can understand. It's fascinating and gives me hope, and I'm sure you'll feel that way too. This episode is brought to you by Family History Films. Visit MyFamilyHistoryFilm.com to find out how they can preserve your family history in a fascinating documentary film. Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. Before we dive in to today's fascinating episode on Alzheimer's research, I'm going to harass you again to follow me on social media. All of my links are in the show notes. Just scroll on down, find your favorite one, click it. It'll take you right to the page. And make sure you share all of these great episodes with all of your friends, families, and strangers. With me today is Nick Zapatidis. Did I get that right? Tazapsidis. Tazapsidis. Oh, Lord, I got it wrong completely. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And we're going to discuss, he's a researcher, and we're going to discuss drug development research for Alzheimer's. So thanks for joining me, Nick. Thank you very much. Real pleasure being here. So I know you have a family history with Alzheimer's. So why don't we start there? And you could tell me how that pushed you in this particular direction, because you were in the research field before, correct? Correct. Awesome. So, um, so we were, um, my background is um, that of a biochemist. So we were doing uh, basic research using animal and cell culture models. And we did stumble upon this drug candidate that we are currently exploring. Um, and our intention was to, you know, um, create a, a, a company and raise capital uh, to support the developments, uh, the, the, the de- development activities. Uh, in the meantime, my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And um, she's, she used to uh, live in Greece. You know, we're far apart. Um, I was able to visit a couple of times and experienced the, the rapid deterioration um, that the disease caused. Uh, she, you know, it was, uh, you know, heartbreaking. And I knew um, that... Um, but I sense that she was also going to be one of those perfect candidates for our therapy because she was losing weight. And one of the characteristics of our approach um, is that it uses leptin um, as, a, as a drug, as a treatment for Alzheimer's disease that are known to have low le- levels of that protein. And the levels of that protein are characteristically quite... Um, um, directly correlated to BMI, uh, body mass index. And it is characteristic for many Alzheimer's cases where they lose weight even prior to the onset of any of the clinical symptoms. So I actually asked uh, her physician to take a sample and ask for them to measure her leptin levels and I did get a reading in Greece and it was surely at a the very at a very low level so I went over uh, to the time uh, to the owner of that asset at the time and I could not get permission to get compassionate use of the assets for my mother mm. And so, what exactly right, is leptin? Leptin is a protein that our own adipocytes create. Okay. So it's a natural protein. And um, other than metabolic properties, it also has a pro-cognitive profile, meaning that it will enhance your cognition. It will 
become a, a trophic factor for neurons and their uh, branches. Okay. And the idea is to um, detect the leptin levels in individuals that are in the early stages of the disease and provide them, supplement them with the protein at the early stage. The idea being the earlier you start with somebody who is confirmed to become an azamicasis, an case, you're more likely to be successful. And um, anyway, I wasn't able to get uh, the protein and um, we didn't have it. We didn't have clinical grade protein. So we want to continue even more aggressively and passionately now to provide this as a solution for people that are likely candidates to take to 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 uh, benefit from its uh, from its use. At the same time, um, so my mother passed away um, soon after my wife's um, mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. She, in fact. Um, lived for a longer period with the disease. Her deterioration was a little bit more slow, but nonetheless, they, they exhibited very, very similar uh, uh, profile and symptoms, um, you know, starting from memory loss, um, becoming... Um, actually, they didn't have any um, major issues with communicating. However, there were problems with um, reality, perception, um, there was also some paranoia uh, with people that were, you know, close to them, uh, but not necessarily that close. And um, so it's, it's, it's a family uh, personal journey because uh, our daughters have the potential to receive um, a genetic risk from both parents. Not that's that. no fun. That's not fun at all. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, the predisposition doesn't mean that you're actually gonna get the disease, right? But it just increases your chance of being a, a, an Alzheimer's patient, and that's what uh, physicians usually do. The first thing when you go there, they ask for your family history. They they want to know who uh, and how close their relative was in your in your family tree. Um, so direct. Uh, contact direct um, relatives. Um, I know that you have also experienced. Uh, you you have some history with that. Um, it's all on my maternal side, right? So um, hopefully, I do take after my dad quite a bit. Personality, I inherited the fat gene from that family. Well, you you have no signs. Oh, dementia, I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, that's good. I, I, I think my mom started about the same age I am now. So I kind of check in. Maybe, yeah, maybe you got uh, lucky and didn't get those genes that render you susceptible. <laughs> I used to get grumpy about the fat gene, but if I got that one and not the Alzheimer's gene, I'll take it any day. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That must have been interesting as a researcher. You kind of had a little, a little tiny bit of your own in-house subject matter to kind of observe. Did that, did that give you any kind of indications on on anything? I know that's like that doesn't sound like a great question. Um, believe me, other than uh, uh, us wanting to execute. Uh, all activities that are related to bringing that drug to the market, um, being reinforced by you know this you know family history. Um, there's there's no other plan. There's no plan B whatsoever. That's all I'm thinking since you know from the from the time I wake up until I, I go to sleep. It's uh, what is it that we need to do to take to the next step all the time. Hmm. Well, that's a good... It's a mission. It's a mission. That's always good. <laughs> my mission was to help caregivers. And now that my mom is gone, I'm, I feel like I'm the caregiver to caregivers. With, who, by, by the way, suffer more than the patient. In many I ways. agree. 
we know what's going on the whole time. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's it's more painful. Uh, they're the ones that really have to do the sacrifices. The patients, the patients may not necessarily, you know, fully appreciate what's going around them uh, and what the impact of their disease is to others. Yeah, that's very true. I, I know I've talked to people who say. It was it was more difficult when their loved one was in like the mid stages and was aware that they had a problem, but not able to find a workaround mentally. Like, you know, we all have our challenges. Like I'm not good at math or pronouncing Greek names, obviously. <laughs> so, but I, you know, I'll use a calculator or I'll ask you to, I tried to write it down phonetically as your name, but I still screwed it up. So we have workarounds and, People in mid stages can't execute a workaround usually, or it doesn't last very long. And so they're aware they have a problem, and that causes a frustration and anger, all those emotions. And that's harder on the caregivers than like in the later stages when they have no clue how challenging they are. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me. Tell me about the research because I'm I'm always interested, but again, I'm not super sciencey, so you might have to keep it really okay. dumbed down. <laughs> okay, so what we know and, and what you know, most people that are you know looking into these things uh, know is that we haven't had a drug approved by the FDA for Alzheimer's for the last 15 years. That was time. the last. That was the last approval for a drug that does very little. But, I mean, it provides a, a, a very short-term symptomatic relief, uh, and in most cases doesn't do anything. However, mm-hmm. that's all physicians have as a, as a weapon for this disease. It's a, it's, it's a very, very useless. So um, there, there's a great, a huge amount of medical need to find a drug that will minimally slow the progression of the disease. And the overall belief in the field is that if we can identify uh, securely those that are indeed Alzheimer's cases in the early stage of the disease, and we identify a candidate drug to treat them with, that's the ideal situation. There's nothing else that would be able to, you know, compete with that. The, 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 there is very little hope, unfortunately, for those that have advanced for the disease. I do, there is conceptually, scientifically, um, medically, there isn't anything that can revive dead neurons. And in mm. Alzheimer's brain, there are regions within the brain where... 60% of the neurons have died. You know, when, on autopsy, when you do, um, you know, have a, 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 a pathological examination of the brain, you can confirm that a lot of neurons die. Those cannot be revived with anything. The, I mean, there is some um, uh, uh, how do you call it? Some um, possibility that you can increase plasticity what i'm referring to plasticity is um more branching of existing neurons okay they they can keep some of the connections keep going and when the the possibility is that if you find a nice compound that would either maintain or increase those connections or expand those in the uh, uh, live neurons, you might have a good chance of providing uh, some benefit to the patient. Uh, but bringing up from the dead, uh, it, it's, it's impossible. So you have to work with neurons that are, you know, still alive, maybe not working perfectly, and you have to give them a boost. That's the idea, okay? That makes sense. Yeah, and that's the idea. And we believe... And there's a big group of people uh, that would agree with us that Alzheimer's disease is what is called the diabetes of the brain or type 3 diabetes. I've heard that term. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's something like they no longer 
able to utilize energy properly. So we, we strongly believe that it is a metabolic disorder of the brain. And our, and our compound is something that would um, improve that aspect. We know, for example, that there's a high density of receptors for that protein in the hippocampus, which is an area of the brain that is uh, afflicted by the disease at very early stages that is associated with memory, cognition, uh, that deteriorates first. The neurons in the hippocampus are the first victims of the disease. And there are... The hippocampus the, is where the like short-term memories are stored, right? Until they're transferred into long-term memory? Uh, d- depending on the region. Okay. Yeah. There's sub, subdivisions, subregions. Um, so the protein is uh, generated in adipocytes in the periphery. And there is a mechanism by which it can be transported into the brain, which is a major novel positive aspect of our approach. I I don't know if you've heard um, that there is the blood-brain barrier Mm -hmm. that prevents most unnatural compounds to go from the periphery into the brain. It's a kind of protection wall between periphery and the brain. And our protein has a natural transporter. We can actually uh, measure the levels of the protein in the periphery and know how much we should expect in what is called the CSF or the uh, cerebral spinal fluid, which a measurement of the levels of the protein indicate how much there is of that protein in the brain. Okay, Those that have low leptin, in the periphery, also have low levels of the protein in the brain. If you give leptin uh, to to patients with low levels, the level of that protein in the CSF also increases. So that's roughly what we're trying to achieve. And the strategy involves, you know, identifying people with low leptin levels um, that started experiencing some memory problems or cognitive impairment you know, defining early stage. And, and, and here, cognitive assessments of the elderly is very important. You know, the, the participatory aspect of patients to be, or those who are you know, concerned about it, is very important. Because then, um, you know, a, a, a deterioration of some of these cognitive functions can be detected very early with neuropsychological testing. And when that is done, you can then do some biomarker readout. There's even imaging techniques that can look into your brain that will determine whether you have formed some of the lesions that are characteristic of Alzheimer's disease. And on top of all that, you can do uh, genetic uh, tests. You, you know, a lot of people uh, now have raw data from uh, 23andMe they go and get, right? There's, you know, my, my daughter bought me uh, a kit and um, she wants to know what my, my genetic background is. But uh, now you can take that data and use it um, to analyze your risk for Alzheimer's. There's a number of markers or they're called SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms or yeah, I don't want to <laughs> like, come too that was a imagine, imagine the DNA, a big string of billions of um, um, genomes, bases, bases okay. or individual. Um, the sequence determines our, you know, genetic predisposition. You know, it depends on what bases you have that will make you like it to be Alzheimer's, like it to be blue-eyed or et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there, it, Alzheimer's is a very complicated disorder. It's not usually a single gene that will predetermine whether you have Alzheimer's. It could be a combination. So you need powerful algorithms or computer programs that will take the, the entire DNA sequence and analyze it 
based on exactly individual risky genes. Your your you know what what makes you at risk or not. That's interesting. You say that about an algorithm because uh-huh. I just talked to four students from University of Massachusetts yesterday. Mm-hmm. They asked if I could spare 10 or 15 minutes of my time to give some input on their research product or project. You know, they answer questions for them. And I said, trust me, it'll be more than 15, 10 or 15 minutes. I figured half hour, 45 minutes, it was two hours. <laughs> and they're computer programmers and they're trying to find like a computer science component to helping cure Alzheimer's. So oh. I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm remembering what they're saying. I'm like, man, I see this connection happening here. And that's really exciting. That, that, that's, I mean, that, that's how um, creative partnerships are, you know, bringing to the table new solutions. Uh, because if you are always confined with your own, you know, little reality, um, and you can't see beyond the box or beyond your reality. Sometimes you can't see the the, the really breakthrough um, uh, elements that would uh, push your problem to the right direction. And it's you know, in a way, our field is that way. What we're doing is um, jumping over different fields. You know, metabol- metabolic fields working with a, a disease of the brain. Uh, it's not directly um, something that you will do. Yeah, I'd never heard of it being a metabolic disease oh. of the brain. Yeah, what's the same? Type 3 diabetes is the same thing. You know, the okay. concept of type means this is a metabolic disease of the brain. Effectively what you're saying when you okay. say type 3. I'd heard of basically them calling Alzheimer's diabetes type 3 because they feel like insulin yeah that lifestyle choices like my mom was a major sugar fiend and she drank two liters of diet coke every day so none of these things are good for and her 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 dietary nutrition wasn't great which was my because my dad was a super fussy eater so they had a lot of processed food a lot of basic white bread Mm -hmm. none of the healthy stuff we know we should be eating now it's very important Mm -hmm. you are what you eat (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay well I, I do because i went on a huge weight loss journey uh-huh. i changed the way i ate obviously because i didn't feel like i ate overly too much but the weight on the scale indicated such and it took a while to figure out how to lose the weight how did you and after i did did you did you ask me a question how did you lose the weight i went really 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 low fat which most people say, oh, that doesn't work. I cannot cut out like the starchy carbs. And I think it's because... So addictive. (laughs) Well, there's that. (laughs) I did switch them all to, uh, we make our own bread. And part of it is because breads, like we had a nice whole grain bread with some added nuts and stuff in it. It seemed really healthy. And I think the fifth ingredient was liquid sugar. I'm like, oh. Give me a break. It's freaking, and it didn't even have a sweet taste. It was more of a, I really like sourdough. Now we're making our own sourdough too. So we found a wow. bread machine recipe for that. So it's easy. <laughs> nice. But yeah, it was like, I, I went, the recommended daily allowance for fat grams for females is 65 grams. I didn't eat more than 30. I see. So that was really, that, that heart kind of eliminates eggs with the yolk. You can eat egg whites and those are not very filling. So, <sighs> but in, in, I did that to avoid the diabetes that was on my dad's side of the family. And in the last five years, I've realized that by doing that, I probably significantly lowered my risk for Alzheimer's. And I'm much more active and I've done a lot of dynamic learning to podcast and promote the podcast. I really feel having somewhat changed careers that I've stimulated my brain. Yeah. 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 You know, the heavier you become, it's more difficult to get off your chair. It's kind of a vicious circle. Um, And when you lose weight, you feel 
a lot more energized to, and you're going to lose even more. Again, you, 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 in a way, stimulate a positive circle of um, things. Do you, do you do exercise too or physical exercise? Yeah, I used to go to the gym. If you remember in the, uh, the old days when we could go to gyms. Yeah. <laughs> and we have, three golden ret- yeah, we have three golden retrievers, so we walk them. The challenge with that is we have one that's three, one that's almost six, and one that's 12, and the 12-year-old has oh, significant arthritis. arthritis in his back legs. So he is very slow, whereas the three-year-old could run for miles. I mean, I could probably run him on my bike if that wasn't a little bit risky. And so my husband and I do cycling. The cycling is really helpful for my mental state. Sure. So you get out in the sunshine. And I've had instances where riding my bike, my brain is just poppy with ideas. I had one morning where I was, I just... Every time I, it seemed like every time I'd turn a corner, new ideas for the podcast popped into my head until it got to the point where like, I can't keep all these in my head at the moment. And it was either stop and dictate all the ideas into my phone. Or what I just did is I just wrote as fast as I could. So I I was anaerobic, (laughs) which means for people who are not like Nick, a scientist, a researcher, it means you're basically kind of starving your brain a little bit for air. You're, you're really panting hard. And you don't have time to think about anything else. <laughs> and I got home and I literally wrote down like six or seven ideas. And I was like, that is the craziest thing. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, you know, my husband yeah. and I have worked out situations because now it's just the two of us and the three dogs. So it's like, it's kind of a nice time to talk. And, you know, we talk about his business or my business or, you know, whatever's going on. We have a time More to time chat. Yeah. Not just in the house. I don't know why being outside on the bikes makes it easier to talk, but it seems to. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, um, yeah, so that's where we are. I mean, that, that's the, the, the conceptual background. Um, uh, as you know, clinical development is a very expensive um, process. <laughs> process etc you you know clinical trials are the most expensive components of drug development Um, not necessarily the longest in terms of time but uh, because the it's the the preclinical work that is usually the longest when you're you know dealing with gazillion unknowns and you're trying to define what might be you know suitable to get through your filtering um paradigm because you, you're dealing with a number of candidates that you start you know selecting based on your criteria and you end up with one compound to to get to the point where you're convinced that you should start clinical trials for that single compound um it's the it's it's the most creative uh longest and perhaps um not necessarily that expensive phase of drug development but then you hit clinical trials and then (laughs) from hundreds of thousands it goes to millions it's you know it's another order of magnitude more another zero behind the comma right yeah 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 (laughs) so what stage are you guys in just the development first one because yes because um this is a repurposed uh, drug or repositioning drug that is already in the market um, it means that we have a very clear picture about its safety, tolerability, dose, um, route of administration, side effects, if any. Um, and we are uh, in the privileged position to, to say that we're not going to have any problem going from what is called the IND enabling phase, and I'll, I'll come back to that, and through to safety human studies, which is the phase one, okay? So not the IND enabling studies involve um, administrating the drug in animals to demonstrate that it is not toxic, okay? And you get um, an, an initial picture as to how it's distributed in the body, how it's broken down in the body, what biological effect it has, Okay. Um, then you then you have to um, manufacture your drug 
in what is called um, a GMP level, or I'll call it clinical grade, suitable for human use, where you have shown that there's no contamination, and it's very you know, potent, and it doesn't break down, stuff like that. Then you submit an application to the FDA, the Food, Food and Drug Administration, um, and you ask permission to start clinical trials. You, you give them an idea as to how the clinical trials are going to look. What are you looking for to achieve um, or demonstrate as a, an endpoint that proves that it is uh, clinically important or impactful for the patient? in addition to proving that it is totally safe, right? Not only you, you can have a very potent drug, if it kills after a week, <laughs> there's no use, right? That's a, oh, yeah, that's it, a killed, cure, but... it cured, cured, cured Alzheimer's, but, you know, the patient always survived a couple of months. Yeah, you don't want that. Um, is the FDA process very tedious and takes a long time? The FDA, the few interactions that we had um, is always there to support uh, you as a drug developer. They're not there to cut you off. They want useful drugs to go through. But they also want to make sure that you're not cutting corners, you're not being cheeky, you're not cheating, et cetera, et cetera. They want to make sure that all this is kosher, okay? And whatever interactions we've had with the FDA, they were just brilliant. They were, you know, very – so – I have confidence in the uh, system that has been set up um, that would allow or disallow drugs going through into the market. Great confidence. Uh, they're there to help you rather than cut you. And that's that's simply the. Um, well, it's nice the, to the hear best. that it's not a bureaucratic mess. No, and it's in get and it's getting better over time. Uh, they they really have. Um, uh, managed to streamline a lot of um, um, steps uh, during the process. They're reachable, uh, and and it, it's of course it depends on the company too how well they communicate with the FDA. If they're predisposition to say, oh, they're a bunch of bureaucrats, and they come down to meetings with that kind of attitude, of course they're going to be blocks. You know, if they start being um, abusive, insulting to the FDA, it, that's not going to work. Yeah, you guys are there as a team. Yes. Yes. Makes sense. Yes. yes. So it's a, it's a good pro- Nonetheless, you know, <clears throat> the trials are lengthy. So it's not because of the FDA is, is a bastard. It, it, it's, it's the minimum required to demonstrate safety and, and efficacy. And it, the first trial, the phase one, is safety with healthy individuals so you take the drug and you give it to healthy people see if it you know it's toxic or not the phase two is you give it to patients but the trial size is relatively small and then the phase three after you have decided exactly on the dose uh, uh, um, frequency of administration uh, the type of patient or criteria that the patient have, has to have, you do a larger trial. And when I say small and large, the phase two can be 150 patients. Um, and then the phase three can be thousands, can be, you know, thousand plus. And um, th- there are special circumstances where the FDA would consider uh, for example, a, a phase two to be sufficient for the drug to be into the market, depending on how uh, desperate we are, how huge the, the unmet medical need is, and um, particularly if there is good evidence to suggest that at least it is safe, it might provide, and we are going for that, uh, a, a door that will allow us to get into the market under the accelerated approval program um, to be allowed to commercialize and to be followed by what is called phase four post-marketing studies. So you can have a drug that's not absolutely fully um, examined or developed under the classical 
uh, path that the FDA usually requires. But depending on how uh, um, needy we are for addressing that indication, it may approve it with a smaller trial. Nonetheless, under the assumption that there will be a follow-up with real patients in the real world. And makes sense. there's been yeah, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And we're we're gonna try very hard to achieve that. That will that will cut um, you know the process both time-wise and cost-wise tremendously. And uh, that helps. to the benefit to the benefit of the patients, of course, first, and all stakeholders of the of the company, of course. Well, because if you can cut the cost to get it to market, then it will be cheaper to to purchase as a end yes, end correct. user. Correct. Absolutely correct. And yes. we all know research isn't cheap, so no, but Anybody? cutting cutting that, that phase three trial is gonna be huge importance of huge uh, benefits for for the drug and the patients. I can imagine phase three trial might be like herding cats. Trying to keep everybody following the regiment, the protocol and oh, it's just the sheer number. Uh, yeah. just the sheer number. You're dealing with a big a big number. Um and, you know, uh, our CMO, Dr. Ashford, who's stationed in Palo Alto, um, says there's, there's the secret to a successful clinical trial is RRR, recruitment, 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 or, uh, referring to recruiting patients for the clinical trial. When you go on a phase three and you need thousands, it's not going to be uh, a straightforward uh, 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 project. It, it will take a long time to recruit all those patients and to keep them on the trial um, for the long period of time that Alzheimer's trials usually require. How long do they usually require? Well, uh, depending on the um, target of the compound that you are developing, um, it could be months, it could be one year. There's trials that have taken four to five years. Yikes. <laughs> One trial. That's, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah. So a company like us would not be able to do that kind of a trial. We would not be able to do a phase three trial going for four to five years. And that's a, a, a substantial argument. If we want to see something coming out and test it in the market, it will be the ideal way for everyone. Makes sense. So you're basically going from a different direction than the past drugs they've tried to, or they've created that didn't work, that try to clear out the plaques and tangles, right? You're going a different direction? Um, in, in a way, yes. Yeah, okay. In a way, no, no, no. It's substantial. That's a very important question. Um, th there's two kind of lesions in the, in the brain of Alzheimer's, uh, prominent ones. The plaques, uh, and they have a beta and the tangles that have phosphatau. A lot of the trials that have failed recently were targeting those lesions. The idea being they're the culprits, they're the ones that you know, are killing the neurons, they're the toxic entities. If we remove them, we might give the brain the chance to recover and or halt the disease uh, and the deterioration. Um, we, we don't have a very clear convic conviction about that. We, we believe that they're biomarkers of the process. They're, they're like tombstones of a pathology that's happening in Alzheimer's brains. That, and by removing them, you're not going to achieve anything. They're just, you know, um, not they may not necessarily be totally innocent, but they're definitely not culprits. At least the trials that... Um, Fail so far, that's what they prove. That they can't be culprits because they, they've achieved in some of those trials successfully to remove them. Yet there was no cognitive benefit. That must be really crushing when that happens to researchers. Oh, oh, you're kidding me. It's a, it's a big drawback. And they're very expensive too. We're talking, uh, you know, phase three, phase three trials can go up to a billion. Yeah, the, I can't remember the name of the company who's, they pulled their drug because it wasn't working and they, I think they've 
They've done Board something different. Pardon me? Bajan. Yeah. They're still, uh, apparently, they're supposed to be filing for uh, uh, an approval. They were supposed to be filing this quarter, the first quarter. Well, we're on in the second. Uh, but now they've changed it to filing later on. Um, there was very minimal improvement. Um, even though they've achieved, they've achieved the removal of the lesions of Ebeda, and yet the cognitive benefit was not there. Not, nothing, nothing um, impressive anyway. Yeah, that's a bummer. It is a bummer. And, and I, I personally, I, I say that everywhere in conferences when I present, uh, I'm a, a totally against the concept of un, using antibodies um, to remove those lesions. Uh, just as a concept is bad and as a drug category is also bad. It's going to be super expensive. Um, it may have side effects, unwanted side effects, as it has been demonstrated in high doses. It's not going to be patient-friendly. Um, it requires the patient to go to a medical facility to get a, an infusion for an hour or so. Um, I can't remember. It could be more or it could be less, but for a substantial time. But they, ha- they can't do it at home. Right. They cannot administer the drug on their own. And lastly, it will be expensive. Um, and if the payers or the insurance companies that usually reimburse patients for drugs see that there isn't a substantial cognitive benefit, that it's very minimal, they may not even reimburse the patient. So it will be only available to very wealthy individuals who will put their faith in the a very minimum, a minimal improvement due to the removal of a beta uh, with the antibody that Biogen is trying to put in the car. I could get into trouble for this, but and I don't usually like slagging off anyone who's working in the field because everyone I'm sure are, are behind their product. Um, not only financially, but also mentally, scientifically, medically, they're behind the concept. And when you tell them you're doing buggery <laughs> by um, developing this product, you, you can become an enemy. You can become very unpopular, at least by, by those guys that are backing that compound. But at the same time, you know, it, to me, it's very obvious is it more obvious because they've failed or just because you've approached it differently scientifically? Even if successful, um, the, the financial aspect and the patient-friendly aspect are still going to be problems. Uh, you know, it's gonna, not going to be cheaper than, no way, than 50000 a year. No way. Hmm. And to do that for a number of years because it's going to have to be for a number of years and see very little in return. I can see if you the, had the, the best money. case scenario. Yeah. I can see if you had the money, you might, you might be willing to, yes. to do it just because yes. you and I know what living with somebody with Alzheimer's is like, but Correct. I'm liking your, just from everything, all the people I've talked to in the last two years, and the research, now I don't read research, I read articles on research because I've tried to read some, what do they call those, the, the, you know, like the summary of research. And even those are a little, <laughs> I have to look up a lot of words. And I, because I'm, you know, obviously interested in it. And it's, it seems like a much more logical approach. But again, I'm an artist. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know too much about the science end of it. So what can people like me do to help you? Did I lose you? Very, no, you're thinking. Very, no, no, no. <laughs> it, it will sound, you know, we're, we're essentially raising funds now. We, we need as much as we can raise to execute clinical trials. That's, that's the only obstacle uh, that we're facing right now. Um, mm-hmm. It's always money, isn't spread, it? <laughs> spread the word. Not always, not always. 
as you said, the, the wealthy ones may not care if it is 50,000 a year, right? And they'll, you know, pay out, out, out of their pocket, even if it is a, a small improvement. It's not a money issue for them. But, you know, we're talking about 50 plus million around the globe with Alzheimer's. It's not mm-hmm. a small number. No, it's and it's increasing. If, if we, each of them paid 50,000 a year, for five, 10 years, we're bankrupt and there's going to be reimbursement. That is the healthcare system is going to be bankrupt. So we definitely need not to only find, this country everywhere. Yeah. I know that's the scary thing. It's kind of like this pandemic we've been living through. It's global. It's affecting the whole globe. Some places worse than others. And it's a midget mm-hmm. compared to Alzheimer's a midget. I keep saying we're going to get somewhere within a year or two with the COVID-19, whether it's going to be something that will stop its um, um, multiplication uh, within your body or even a vaccine. Uh, I mean, it's optimistic that perhaps too optimistic that we might get a vaccine within a year or 18 months, but it is possible. Uh, People already are enrolling in uh, the phase two trial in some in some cases. So it's possible, you, you know. Um, nonetheless, let's assume it will take two years. Still, it's a very short period of time compared to what it would take any Alzheimer's uh, uh, drug for approval that is starting uh, clinical trials now. It's, it's, you know, we have to focus and support um, with resources, Alzheimer's projects, much more than we are doing right now. We can't forget the forgetful uh, because it's, it's a big number uh, and it, it will destroy, if you're scared about coronavirus, you know, if you end up with a, and is a, as you know, a, an increasingly aging society, right? The, mm-hmm. There's more and more elderly. And guess what? More than a third of those uh, of, of the age of 80 and above will get Alzheimer's. This is a, a frightening, frightening figure. Mm-hmm. And needless to say that they're going to need two or three people looking after them. At least. Right. Yeah, I don't know. we got to do something. Yep. Or else we're going to all be taking care of people who can't take care of themselves. Yep. Or shelling out lots of money to take care, to have them taken care of, or some yep. of both, like I did. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not a sustainable f- economic future for anybody. Correct. You know, Correct. Globally. Correct. So if somebody's got some extra money laying around and they're like, oh, heck yeah, I'm going to give it to you guys. How do we, how do we do that? Um, call me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can put your email in the show notes. I don't know if you want me to put the phone number in there. Okay, sure. Okie dokie. We are actually right now um, active with a campaign using Net Capital as the, okay. the portal. And anyone can go to the site, register, and invest right away in exchange for shares. Um, next month, we're also... Uh, thinking of uh, joining another uh, platform called Utavi. And um, that is totally focused on accredited investors uh, who'd be able to um, invest a minimum of 100000 With uh, With net capital, um, minimum is $2. <laughs> so it's a, a relatively... Um, more a little bit different, $2, 100000 <laughs> Yes. Well, accredited versus a non-accredited is a, is, is a big um, differentiator. With the non-accredited, um, there is a provision where we can raise up to a million for the company. Um, and uh, you don't need to check whether they have sufficient financials, etc. It's a little bit more open to the crowd. With the um, accredited investor route, 
you you have to confirm that the investor is eligible to put in as much money as we wanted him to. You know, <laughs> we want investors to invest as much as possible, but there's restrictions and there's rules as to uh, how much they're actually allowed to. Well, it sounds really exciting. It's it's kind of it's a, it's a positive feeling to hear what you're doing and that you're passionate about it, and Thank hopefully, you. have great success. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> it's like lots of positive energy out there, and you know, are you guys part? Well, will you be part of the Alzheimer's Association trial match when you get to the the phase two trial? Sure. We actually applied for a grant from the Alzheimer's Association, the uh, the Gates Cloud, whatever it's called. Okay. I'm part we, of the... We're about to hear in about a week, I think. Uh, ner- so nervous on. time now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, email me when you do hear, because if it's sure. a positive, then I will throw it in the show. I'll, I'll throw yes. it in the, at the end. <laughs> and is there anything else anybody needs to know to help uh-huh. you, help themselves? Um. You can, they can always visit our website. So there's a substantial uh, body of information about what we're trying to do and generally about Alzheimer's. They can also visit the Net Capital um, page that has the offering. Um, and uh, right now we are renewing both our website and our um, slide deck, um, which we can um, forward uh, to anyone who'd like to see Uh, more details about the science. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure both those websites are linked in the show notes so people can just click through, check it out, because this is really interesting. I hope everybody else finds it interesting. And I really appreciate you sharing what you guys are doing. And hopefully some of my listeners can help with the financial end. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. You're welcome. Well, that's a wrap for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, you know the routine, ratings, reviews, share this episode with friends, family, strangers, follow me on social media so you get to see all the other fun things that are going on in my caregiving life. And as always, I'll be in your ears again next Tuesday.